Welcome to the Cheer.fm podcast, Ask Salt Spring Answered. After many Ask Salt Spring events, we sit down in our studio with Gail Baker's guests and review some of the key points discussed. Welcome to episode two, where Damien Inwood interviews Adam Olson, MLA for Saanich North and the Islands, about Salt Spring healthcare issues. So I'm here with Adam Olson, the MLA for, uh, fill me in on the actual title. It's Saanich, yeah, MLA for Saanich North and the Islands. Saanich North and the Islands. And uh, we've just been through a uh, two-hour discussion uh, with the Ask Salt Spring group. And one of the topics that came up, which took a considerable amount of time, was the question of healthcare on the island and the lack of uh, walk-in clinics for people here. And that was something that you talked for quite a, a long time about. Um, the need for a, walk, a walk-in clinic of some kind and the challenges around it. Maybe you could uh, fill me in as to what you see are the, are the challenges for, uh, for getting that done. Well, I would say that uh, the discussion about healthcare on Salt Spring and on the neighboring southern Gulf Islands always does take up quite a bit of time because it is a, a very challenging topic. Uh, on uh, each of the islands, of course, is, is uh, somewhat different. Uh, they've got uh, clinics that are um, community, community governed and community run on the outer Gulf Islands. Uh, and on Salt Spring, uh, there isn't... Uh, uh, kind of a co-located facility for a, a team-based uh, primary care to be delivered. So it is a uh, it is challenging. There's a, a lack of space for for uh, a team of healthcare practitioners to to operate out of. Uh, getting that land zoned and serviced is very challenging. I think we we talked at length about uh, about the challenges that that causes. Yeah, and. Um you said that you felt that uh, the Lady Minto uh, Emergency Department was being used very inefficiently. What did you mean by that? Well, uh, emergency rooms uh, are there for emergency situations. Uh, they should not be used for, uh, they should not be relied on, I should say, for uh, prescription renewals and for um, what would normally be primary care. Uh, what a primary care practitioner would deliver. So they're at the emergency room uh, providing a, a couple of different services. And, you know, I think what it's, what it's doing is it's creating increased pressure on that uh, very important community resource here on Salt Spring. Um, and, you know, I think it's incumbent upon the provincial government to be working to, uh, with the health authority and with, uh, with the community uh, to develop a, uh, uh, community uh, primary care health care um, location that so then it will relieve that pressure and allow the emergency room to do uh, what it's supposed to be doing rather than serving functions like walk-in clinic uh, would or um, the basic you know provision of primary health care right and I think we talked about uh, supplementing uh, a walk-in clinic with with possibly a mobile clinic too that, that would be something that we we could uh, certainly use on Salt Spring yeah, it was suggested that, um, you know, as has been the case uh, for a variety of different uh, uh, health services, that it's been very challenging to get the funding for the mobile clinic. Uh, I wouldn't look at the clinic necessarily as a replacement uh, to a, a properly function walk-in clinic or um, a clinic that hosts a team of healthcare practitioners working together to deliver primary care to the population here on Salt Spring. Um, 
or you know in coordination with independent primary doctors is an example as well uh, there's a there's a role for them to play uh, there's a role for all of these uh, health care um, services and uh, the mobile clinic could could also provide a, a much needed uh, ability to do outreach in certain parts of the community right I think you said that um, you know island health uh, delivers the services they deliver but it's difficult to infuse uh, community values into what they do in places like like Salt Spring Island that they you know they provide a kind of a, a large blanket service and uh, they don't necessarily respond to local needs very uh, very efficiently is that fair to say yeah I mean one of the things that uh, my colleague Sonia first knows she's the uh, leader of the BC Green Party and the member for Cowichan Valley one of the things that we've been advocating for are for community uh, health clinics uh, which are you know the provision of of uh, community health governed by members of the community and and really infusing the priorities of the community and the values of the community into that uh, health health delivery. An example of this was raised uh, during the uh, during the conversation about um, kidney disease and the and access to dialysis. And this is an example of where you know a health authority might take a look at the community and say, oh, there's all these reasons why. It's just easier for us to ask the people who need dialysis to go to Victoria to do it. But a community like uh, like Salt Spring is a compassionate community, an empathetic community to those people who need access to dialysis and might very well agree that it's a priority of the community. And so therefore, in, in, in uh, a community health setting, a community health model, they w- might make that a priority and they might uh, then design services that then allow for people to not have to travel off island and spend eight or nine hours, three days a week accessing uh, the renal care that they need. So, you know, I I think that this is where community values and community priorities um, can start to be, uh, you know, injected into the decision making and into the services that are being delivered. You know, might very well be that the community looks at the situation with family doctors and says, how can we support them or might take a look at uh, the nursing situation, say, how can we support, uh, better support those uh, healthcare practitioners? So um, it's about a relationship. Uh, and I think the, uh, the current service uh, delivery in healthcare is very much top down. And what we've been proposing is that we infuse a bottom up approach to it that allows the community to really drive um, the type of services that, uh, that they value and, and, and focus on that. Is, is the government showing any signs of supporting initiatives like local initiatives uh, where a nonprofit, say, set up uh, a group here and then ask for funding from, from the government? Uh, you know, I'd really like to answer that in a, in a very positive way. Unfortunately, what I have to say is that I've you know, seen this government take a very top-down uh, approach to this. The, the idea very much has to come from the Ministry of Health uh, or else uh, it is a it is a very rocky road and a, a very challenging to get the government to to agree to to do that. So I think um, you know we'll continue to advocate that the government uh, reorients itself and allows for communities the ability to to really drive that decision making and and uh, and deliver the kind of health care that uh, the community values. 
but unfortunately what we're seeing right now is a is a is a ministry that is very much driven top down uh, and healthcare authorities that uh, you know are very large and very focused on the work that they're doing and um, and the communities then just kind of accept the uh, the programs and services that the health authority is prioritizing and I think we touched on the impact of the ferries obviously on people who have uh, essential medical treatments such as dialysis and other things um, and how difficult that makes it uh, for the people living on on a on an island really to to get the health care they need is there was sort of a, a, di- a different kind of discussion going on about whether in fact uh, you know we had to settle for that because we're living on an island um, what what's your view on that well I think there is a certain reality that when the wind is blowing very hard that it's it's very challenging to land ferries and and even you know water taxis or helicopters you know depending on depending on the weather situation that, that is existing so you know the 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 reality and, and I think the the example of of someone who needs to go off island to access dialysis that needs to happen for that person's health care uh, to be maintained they they must go and and uh, receive dialysis treatment and so um, this is where it becomes very challenging that if uh, if a ferry system becomes unreliable because they you know, for example, what we've seen over the last couple of years, they don't have enough staff, and one staff member uh, isn't able to make it, and the ferry can't run. Uh, that will strand people who absolutely need to receive uh, healthcare services. And in this case, um, you're not necessarily going to be accessing the uh, the water ambulance or or helicopters. But that doesn't mean that you're you're not going to be intensely affected by that especially if you need to get off island for dialysis so um yeah i mean i i think that there is i i've got a, a ton of empathy for those that have these long-awaited uh uh long-awaited meetings with a health specialist they've been you know scheduled it for a long time and then out of nowhere um there is a ferry cancellation due to staffing shortages or due to extreme weather and and that is one of the hazards of living on an island for sure, and and one of the uh, you know really difficult situations that I hear about in my constituency office uh, regularly. Uh, it is you know and, and to to even a I guess a lesser extent, but it, it happens for Vancouver Island residents as well for going over and accessing services in in Vancouver, um, but it is. Um, more acutely felt uh, in my constituency in the Southern Gulf Islands, in particular, uh, when people have have uh, medical uh, practitioners that don't live on the islands. Those services probably will never be established on the islands, and need to get off the island in order to access them. Do you have any hope that the new ferry commissioner will, in fact, be able to improve the situation? It doesn't seem to have happened yet. I know he's only been in there a short time, but. Um it seems like there's even more cancellations due to staffing shortages now than there were a few months ago. Yeah, so I'm the uh, Nicholas Hemeneth is is the name of the new CEO, CEO yeah. Um, yeah. coming from ICBC. I think one of the things that I'll say to this is that uh, I'm encouraged that uh, the new CEO 
has worked with government, uh, understands uh, how the government operates. Uh, formerly, uh, this the the head of ICBC, which which uh, you know was um, I imagine he worked very closely with uh, the Premier David Eby when he was the Attorney General and responsible for ICBC. Uh, certainly, they're uh, will be aware of each other. I think they'll be aware of the new board chair of BC Ferries, uh, which was also involved in the ICBC um, uh, situation. So there's a lot of familiarity there. Uh, I think that it is too early to, to be seeing results with, with this uh, new CEO, uh, to just in, in all fairness, you know, to get around and understand the system and understand how the office works is, is going to take some time. However, I was very encouraged uh, this morning when I was coming over on the ferry uh, to uh, read that uh, he's taking a very much a people approach. And so in getting back to the previous questions that you were asking with respect to people who need to get off the island for, for medical, when you have a system that is focused on the people that they're moving, um, and, you know, and when I was talking to Minister of Transportation Rob Fleming about uh, the this uh, BC NDP government's uh, move a few years back to insert the public interest into decision making. This is very clearly uh, an indication that this government and the corporation is going to be looking less at the profit profitability of the ferry service as a corporation and much more as it being a corporation that's there to deliver service transportation services for people and and an economy. And so in that perspective um, you know, I, when, uh, when the governance model changed originally, it was that, and, and the minister pointed this out in, in budget estimates in my exchange with him, that it was required that every single run, uh, every single route be profitable. And of course, there's going to be lots of routes in a province, provincial-wide ferry system on the coast that those routes are never going to be profitable. And that's why we need the big routes to be able to provide a revenue to, to, to support the smaller routes. And so we can see a definite shift away from the profit being the, the number one priority of, uh, you know, in the mind of the, the CEO of BC Ferries. I'm very pleased to hear that, that people and, uh, yeah, well, people are going to be at the center of that decision making. And that means that, uh, I believe that that should mean that he'll be very sympathetic to the fact that these disruptions have uh, consequences and very real consequences for people, especially in the, using the example that we've been using in this interview. So mm. um, I'm encouraged uh, by by the investment that the government made of $500 million to help keep the cost down for, for my constituents and for people who need the ferries as a primary form of transportation. It was a good investment. I was very happy to support it. And I'm very happy to continue to work with this minister, uh, Minister Fleming, who has uh, uh, who has a very, very strong grasp of of the transportation needs in this province, and I find him to be very responsive to. Um, and in fact, he'll be coming and visiting the island to 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 see the transportation needs that Salt Spring has in in early May. So, I'm quite encouraged by that, and uh, I'll continue to work with them and continue to work with the, f the ferry system to ensure that it's delivering the service that Salt Spring Islanders need. Okay, well, thanks for popping in and talking to us today, Adam. It's been great. Thank you uh, so much for the invitation. And uh, I guess I should just say this is my first opportunity to
be able to hang out in front of the microphone of Salt, Salt Spring Radio. And uh, congratulations. I know this has been a, a lot of hard work to get to uh, where we're at today. And it's encouraging to be surrounded by all of this vinyl and music. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the programming that uh, that you're going to be providing the constituency. Yeah, thank you. We're very excited and uh, should be on the air by the new year. Thank you. 